by the very structure of his price, he indicated to clients what they should be worried about, which is, does the person bear the, the, the risk with you or not? Now, this is it's not about scaring. It's not about unduly scaring. It's about duly scaring. So if there's a minefield, they should know about it. This is the Fearless Pricing Podcast, where we meet and talk real-life pricing experience. I'm your host, Filip Fucic. Pricing is hard. This is a podcast for fearless professionals and those who would like to feel that way. It's an unfortunate truth that most service pricing is created using either guesswork or copying other people's guesswork. Welcome back to the Fearless Pricing Podcast. Today, we have our lovely guest, Carrie Benedett. She is an educator with over 25 years experience across education, business, and government. Carrie's focus is on building and empowering leaders with strong emotional intelligence and relational skills. Hmm. She has a global presence in Europe, Asia, New Zealand, China, and Australia. And her podcast, Thriving Matters, where is a place where ordinary guys and gals doing extraordinary things in life and work <laughs> share their thriving leadership and habits and stories. So, Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Philip, for having me, and uh, thanks for that nice intro. <laughs> you know, I'm looking back on being at home uh, a decade with our, our four babies, um, leaving education. At the time, it made far more sense to actually have my own creche and preschool and playgroup all at home. So with other girlfriends, we would we would do that. But at the time, because I'm teacher trained, I was I, I did my first training as a home economics teacher. Now, for a lot of people around the world, you may not recognise what that means, but it was the old cooking and sewing teacher that, for me, it was brilliant life skills, really. But I had a real love of textiles and teaching textiles, and I was at home for ten years with the kids, four four of the kid, the four children that we have. And I sewed for cash money. At the time, the interest rates here for home loans were at 17.5% interest rates. So one wage, four kids and a hungry wife to feed. We lived off a very small amount and I made the cream with the, with the cash money for sewing. And I would sew from, I would design something and then I would put it into calico. Mm -hmm. I'd then sew it up into the fabric. Some of the wedding dresses and the gowns that I would make, they were beautifully beaded. But I found, Philip, that not everybody wanted to pay for the expertise, the time, the workmanship. So I'd sit at the machine and I'd make all the kids' clothes at the same time. So I saved money that way as well, but I'd make, they would play around me and I would just sew and I'd beat at night and it was beautiful. But when it came time for me to look to getting a, a more of a wage, I was rung up and said, well, why aren't you applying for this job? This is just for you. They'd gotten to know me as a young mum who was interested in the parents and friends at the school the, or the parents and citizens group here in Australia. That's what we have. And so I was very willing to step forward and take up a voluntary role. And I took up then a position that saw me in a large educational community for about 23 years. So I'm, I want to go back to that time where I knew that it wasn't feasible for me to 
actually up my prices because people were not willing to pay for the time and effort and love that I put into making them. And I was pretty good, pretty damn good. I've got gowns still in the camphor wood chest here. I've got, you know, whatever it is that we made. They're very hard to let go of. <laughs> but it was a real time when I just went, wow, here's a great gift of mine. It used to be a hobby. So it became sort of the business and got us through those huge interest rates because we were living off about $200 a week with the six of us. Because you asked me the question, I'm now looking at being in business for myself over the last four years and there's still an element of that. There are some people who don't want to pay for your services or your strengths or your expertise that you've developed over the years. So there's still an element there. The advent of, of technology the, and how that's assisting now in how anything is made in a sweatshop or in large factories, you know, the process lines. Well, the prices are get going down, down. So here you can purchase, you know, outfit for children for about, you know, at least under $100 here with shops such as Kmart and Big W and all that. So we've done a complete circle. You can still buy couture. And I would have been considered worthy of that title, but there's only a very niche market for that. And it's not all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> for sure. So as you said, there's some people that, that simply uh, don't want to pay. That's always the case. It's interesting to see in the case of handmade goods or in the case of services, why? Now, yes. there's always competition. Yes, but there's a simpler choice then. People don't mostly go around in secondhand clothes, which are cheaper. So why aren't mm -hmm. they? Yes, it's cheaper to go and buy, you know, sweatshop-made mm. clothes, but it's even cheaper to go and buy secondhand store-bought clo clothes. So wh why don't people do that? Well, good, good question. And I'm just thinking of friends of mine that go to vintage shops or shops that take on clothes uh, and shoes, bags, accessories, all that sort of stuff on consignment. And it's, I think if you have an exclusive label, say Chanel, Gucci, even a good wine, like, you know, a Grange or whatever it is that you, you drink where you are, people will pay for the exclusivity sure. and the history but I think sometimes when we're looking at how far does our dollar go, people forget that there is still something about exclusivity, but there are people who are happy to buy the knockoffs, <laughs> who aren't, who don't, who want sure. a similar approach and they'll buy second rate, right? And I think that's true for some people in business today. So I'm a coach, a leadership coach. I work with teams and individuals and, you know, coaches are a dime a dozen at the moment across the world, right? In the last four years, there's been this massive outbreak. But the number of coaches that find it difficult to make a significant wage, it takes you quite a while to develop the reputation and the customer base, to say, here, these are the people I've worked with. If you've got an income or if you're supported by the company or the organisation who is backing your development, they will help sponsor you or pay for your professional development. 
other people will invest in themselves um, and other people will go, no, I can do this myself. Yes, in coaching. That's one of the areas where I know what I'm talking about, apart from as a difference to clothes, where I mostly don't. <laughs> I, I can talk in general, but I, I, I don't understand the pricing logic. But in coaching, I do. There's a big difference between the me too kind of pricing and mm -hmm. uh, offer. Something that, that people haven't seen before. The trouble is clients are bad at distinguishing which is which. Because mm -hmm. if you don't really understand coaching, you will easily be swayed by something that's basically a knockoff. Yes. And the reason why people don't want to pay in general is that they don't really see the value. You only want to pay for the value that you see. So the point that I was trying to make with knockoff clothes or secondhand clothes mm. is that there's an additional clear cost to buying secondhand clothes, which has nothing to do with money. It has to do with ego. If you know you're buying clothes that was made by, I don't know, you know, children in, in sweatshops, that's also an ego cost, right? Y you feel worse. That's a cost. I, want, I wonder if values come into it as well, Philip. Go on. Not just, I think you could, there'll be some people who, who only want the best. Like if you went out and bought a suit, what brand would you buy? something from your country or would you want a French brand or an English brand or, okay, or an Italian brand, right? The same will also happen for coaches. If you add the value, if people know what value you add to the process and they are learning and they get a lot of value out of it for their own progression, for their own business, whatever it is they're doing, well, then that's the value that they will recognise if they don't quite understand what it is all about, they're willing to just take a service and not actually become part of the journey with you. Yeah. Well, I think that's a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a men's clothing industry in a town nearby in, in Croatia, but their line is called DiCaprio because they uh -huh. want to sound Italian, right? Yeah. So they're absolutely 100% local, but they want to sound Italian. So that, yeah. I think that answers your question there. Before we continue, I'd like to suggest two things. Firstly, if this is the first time you're tuning in, I'd love for you to subscribe and hear the next story in a week. And second, if you feel you could do with a little more fearless pricing content, look in the show notes for the link to the popular, short, and sometimes funny bi-weekly newsletter. That's it. Let's get back to the show. It's a problem with selling expertise in general. So almost by definition, when you're selling expertise, you're selling to people that don't really understand what they're buying because they're not experts. Mm. If they were, they, they wouldn't need you. People who really understand where you're worth are usually your colleagues or your competitors. It's something that I like to call the expert paradox. People who need you don't value you people who value you don't don't need you but okay. it is what it is so what i've found is that you can educate your 
clients, not by saying, you have no idea what you're doing. Let me educate you about this. <laughs> that, that doesn't work with humans. But what you could do is to t- tell them, yeah, I know that you're going to have choices. I just want you to know that in these mm-hmm. cases, this is what sometimes happens. And I had a client mm-hmm. that went to this and this happened because they for- kind of forgot about this right? They did something that would be completely acceptable in normal terms. However, this was for people over 50, or this was a women's only retreat. And this isn't a good idea in those cases. So it's hard for people who don't see to see that they don't see, right? (laughs) And then a story usually is something that can show them, oh, there's the pitfall there. And if you didn't mm. warn me, I could have walked into this. Mm. Now, this is it's not about scaring. It's not about unduly scaring. It's about duly scaring. So if there's a minefield, they should know about it. We're mm. not doing any favors to our clients by not pointing out the minefields. Right? Mm. That's not kind mm. and that's not professional. And once we do, your offer becomes um, different than other offers that didn't mention this. So if I get three offers, two of them are lower, one of them um, is higher, but the higher one warned me about something. Now I start wondering, lower uh, offers than people who made them, do they not know of this danger? Or they know, but they didn't tell me that. And either way, I'm starting to like the the higher offer more. I think you're quite right because once you start working with a number of clients in in various areas, you can actually put it to them where where there's been a failure or a slip up or something hasn't gone to plan. There's nothing worse than really being in a position where you feel like you've conned somebody. You actually haven't quite told them all the truth. About And so to me, that's disingenuous. That's not being upfront and saying, look, I just need you to know that we did this and this in another situation. So you're up, you know, you can choose how you want this to play out. There's more costs to your price than it seems at first. So there is the monetary part, but there's also, as we discussed, the ego part. (laughs) <laughs> right. I always say if I have to choose between two therapists and one of them is cheaper, but is also my ex-girlfriend, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quite extreme example. It is, it? <laughs> but it's illustrative. You make the point. Right. You make the point. That's so true. There's also a, a convenience cost. So if you know you, you go to an optometrist or, or somebody that you trust, but they move two hours away and their price is the same, is it? right? It's not. There's an additional. (laughs) And there's the risk cost because you had four kids. If you had any choice, would you send them to the cheapest dentist that you know? Uh, No. no. What I'm saying is there's more to price than the monetary part. Mm. And that's something Mm. that is, I think, an important uh, truth. As you say, there's a, a glut of coaches ever since Corona. Yeah. That's true. However, coaches are something that I like to call 
let's say a, a high high variance kind of service. What I mean by that is, if I get my car washed by six different people in a year, I'm barely going to notice any difference. The car is clean or it's not clean. It's almost binary. It's not like that with coaches. It's not like that mm -hmm. with with any kind of expertise based service. It's simply not mm. right. If I get coached by six coaches, I'm going to feel a big difference between the amateurish mm. ones and the professional ones. Right. So the trouble is that somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience with coaches won't know this. This is not intuitive. You give them a price and somebody else gives them a price and they view it as being one and the same as being okay so i have you know two tomato soups which one is cheaper it's not like that sometimes you can use your pricing to also indicate that they should be looking at something else your first business was basically sewing my first business was business plans uh, fairly a long time ago and because of that i understood the problems with buying business plans because do you really want somebody to write you a business plan that will have no incentive for this business plan to be workable recognizable by banks anything like that so you can get a business plan but is yeah. it something that you actually need so when i had uh, when i had at the beginning of my fearless price pricing practice when i had a client who makes business plans we made a different price structure for him that says, yes, there's an upfront cost, but two thirds of the money are only due if the business plan works, if you get it funded. Now that allowed him to be almost three times as expensive as anybody else. However, he was slightly cheaper before the money uh, came in which was a, a, a winning combo because it's less risk to people. And once they get $200,000 or something like that, uh, grant or, or loan, they don't really care yeah. about an, an additional 10,000 because they, they, they mm. got exactly what I wanted. So they would rather mm. risk five and have somebody who has really big incentive to, to make this go well, then pay 6,000, to somebody that says, look, that this is none of my business. I'm going to make it. If you get the money, you get the money, right? Yeah, so yeah. by the very structure of his price, he indicated to clients what they should be worried about, which is, does the person bear the, the, uh, a part of the risk with you or not? It's a lot of psychology oh, yeah. that sits behind this in understanding whatever the problem is, what it is that they want to pay for it. But adding, you know, if this all goes belly up, what's the cost of doing business like this? And I think that's often people get burnt, don't they? They just go, you hear people say, well, I spent $20,000 with one of the top coaches in America online. And basically it was pretty useless because there was no understanding of the Australian market. And I'm not saying that actually happened, but it, it could happen. Um, it's like when you purchase that Porsche and it's a lemon coming out of the factory. And in Australia, we often say it was 
made on a Friday afternoon when the boys clocked off and went to the pub, right? And so it's missing oil seals or, you know, an alternator or something, you know. I'm just being, you know, ridiculous. But <laughs> it's the same sort of thing. You, if you believe you are paying for, a, a, a you know, a premium service or a premium product and you're not getting the return on that, there's no evidence to say that's what you think about. You'll feel that you've been dudded. So I, I'm... <laughs> genuinely interested how do you know if your coach was an amateur how how can you tell how can you tell yeah you've got to do your due diligence you've actually got to be do some research i mean all of us you can experience it and see what it's like yourself but you need to find out what is, you know, if someone's charging 100000 for, you know, a product. Now, someone like Doug Conant or, you know, some of the very established leadership um, coaches, they could be charging as much as 200000 They could be charging half a, you know, okay. 500000 half a mil. They could, they could be doing that because they have got the runs on the board. They've got the evidence. Of course. But let's say... I had a, a coach come in that, okay, that yep. was not a top line coach, but it could be, yep. it could be a professional. It, so yep. what part of the post training experience indicates that I made a mistake in choosing my, my, my coach? If there's no change, there's no difference in how I'm showing up or the type of clients I'm getting, if I continue to do it and there is no change, or I feel that I don't quite know what the next step is with this particular coach. I don't know where I stand. I don't know what I have to do in between time because coaching scares people off. The word, you know, some people just go, no, you're going to do something to me that I don't want and you're telling me there's something wrong with me. Well, I want to flip that way upside down and say it's all how you look at it. Every coach has a coach. We've all got people who either coach or mentor us, are significant in our circle of expertise, who challenge and find solutions, work with us. We're not going to get any change unless we invest in the change or in doing something differently. And you've got to lean into that and you've got to fail a little bit and then you've got to try again because that's what life's all about how do we get to this particular age in life and our experience without making a few big mistakes no nope, you know? that's what and, we're all about here so i always say i can talk about pricing because i made all of the mistakes first <laughs> so well it isn't honesty and transparency one of the gifts that we can give each other and not feel like we're being judged or blamed when you are fraudulent, when you are really being so narcissistic in your attitude, your behaviours, and the way you are taking from others, well, then that's a different question. Right. Okay. Is there a particular format of coaching that is safer? So, you know, one-shot talks... Yeah it's more of a hit or miss or it's not or the year-long programs are some of those programs safer from so do they require let's say less diligent due diligence because we don't have the time unfortunately in general in our mm -hmm. lives to do, do, do proper due diligence for everything for every expert service that that we do 
And even when we do, we're not sure if we're doing it right. So, okay, I can go and look at somebody's LinkedIn and I can start to, to look at some reviews, but I'm not made of time. So, so due diligence is easy when you know what you're searching for, but not that easy Mm -hmm. when you don't, right? That's true. There are coaches for nearly anything in life. Yeah. I think there's coaching for different purposes and it can look differently. Okay. There can be any length of time. There's always about, you know, six months programs, three months programs. You can do it individually. You can be part of a group. You can self-coach. There's so much now about how we can self-coach and how self-directed we are. Most people can do it, but there are some that can't. So I think it, I think it depends on what the purpose of the coaching is around. For sure. And it also depends. And there will be people, like some people listening to this will go say, oh, my crikey, I would love to work with Carrie uh-huh. or love to work with Philip. And there will be others who will go, no, I just don't like the way she's speaking or she's coming across. I don't like the way her eyes are looking or perhaps how she's sitting. I might be sitting like this, sprouting my wisdom. There are plenty of formats you know, the GROW model, Growth Coaching International and solution-focused coaching, I've, I've done some work in. I like a notion um, of looking to the future for whatever coaching I do for people. There's, there's no judgment. And, you know, if you aspire to be a Fortune 500 company, well, then you will probably go and be coached by someone who has a real experience in that area. Uh, as well and I don't know if I've answered your question very well (laughs) Uh, what I wanted to emphasize is value communication in general Mm -hmm. is a magnet I think Seth Godin said said a magnet that both as you said attracts people and pushes them away pushes others away so you cannot set up your value communication in a way that it attracts everybody just like a magnet cannot attract everything. It can attract some things and it will push away others. Uh, so that's a significant decision. Who you're, who do you want to attract? And why, mm. Right. And go circling back to your, what I should have charged storyline. <laughs> People who don't want to pay are not your market. So if somebody really wants to get a cheaper garment mm. than buying something made by hand in Australia mm. is probably not even within their their scope, right? Yep, I agree. And some people will simply go and buy the, the Swiss, Swiss shop stuff. Yep. Some people will go and buy the, the secondhand stuff. But um, even if most people do that, when you're a service provider and you can't serve all those people anyway it's utterly meaningless i basically talk to people who are expertise based service providers and that's not a lot of people in any population but there's still millions of people yes so i have no chance in serving a, a fraction of that so if half of that number isn't interested in listening to what I have to say for any reason, that's almost of completely no consequence to me. Mm. As as long as there's an equivalent of 
30 clients a year, I have plenty. That's, and, and I'm not going to live I think that Philip, long, right? Well, well I, th- I think you bring up an interesting point in our global existence. There really is an abundance of opportunity for nearly everyone. And I believe that's where humanity is looking to go. They're looking at very different things in the last four years to what we had in the previous decade, okay? And everyone wants to know that they can, you know, get enough money in to support a lifestyle that they're comfortable with, have savings, put it towards their superannuation or their holiday house in Mallorca or, you know, or support a not-for-profit or give to more. And I think more and more people are looking for that real purpose that underlines what will attract the people they want to work with as well or what the – so I think that's something else to be thinking about. Sometimes it's about supporting your lifestyle. Sometimes it's about funding the mission. I really like yeah. that expression. I'm, I make a difference between, let's say, growing work, work that grows you as a, as a, as a person, yeah. and sustaining work. There is work yes. that I will do that, doesn't do much for me i can do it and i do it because there's some money that i want to be certain of but i'm not going to get the give discounts i'm not going to get excited about it i'm not going to delve into that i'm just going to do it it's sustainable Mm. i think you make a really good point the reality is you have to have some sustainable income something that sustains you but the growing point is the most exciting and trying to work out the options and how you're going to do it can be as creative as possible. And I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Technology is actually a tool that's helping us do that. And we're in a, in a, in a bit of a revolution at the moment. We're really recontemplating how we're looking at the world of work and life. Tell me, Kerry, where can people find you? Oh, look, Carrie Benedict is my name. So I have a website carriebenedette.com. I have an Instagram under the same number, LinkedIn profile under the same name, sorry. Facebook, you name it, I do it. YouTube channel. So yeah, you can find me quite easily. (laughs) For someone, Philip, that didn't really like having a photo out there in the last four years, it's one of those things that is is sustaining. It's one of those skill sets that I had to develop to go, that's it. You need to put your face out there. You actually need to add the profile to the work that you're going to do. Otherwise, you won't be making any income, girl. So that's part of it. And meeting people like yourself, Philip, has been a blessing over the last uh, few years. And I think that's what technology has allowed us all to do. When we were locked up, depending on wherever we lived around the world, whatever was happening to us, We still, I think, are most grateful for having a phone that we could actually see our families, see our friends, meet new people, make connections. And the relationships that I built over technology, I'm pretty sure I made the right ones, which is an interesting concept because you have people tell you, no, I'm over Zoom. I can't do it anymore. I don't. It's face to face for me. And I just go, no, let's look at this look at the purpose and then how do we amplify it so how do we this has been the year i've been meeting face to face so onward the next few years are going to be incredible so for your listeners i hope they've enjoyed the conversation today because it's it's an interesting one to think about how much you're going to charge for your services 
and how much value you yourself put on your expertise and your time that you actually have to get across. So, so that you can fund your mission, whatever it is. That's it. Uh, That's it. Thank you for, for being the part of that conversation. And sorry about my voice. There's nothing I could have done oh, that. But the gift of your of germs that comes through your family members is the gift that keeps giving. And listen, and Philip, can I take one more liberty, listeners? Yeah. I do have a podcast myself, and it's called Thriving Matters, and we talk to the ordinary guys and gals across the world um, who are doing extraordinary things in life and work, just like Philip and just like you. Uh, thank you. This has been great. I hope we're all better off after this. <laughs> Carrie, thank you for your and happy presence today. And <laughs> for everybody else, I will uh, see you in the next rendition of what I should have charged. Bye. Well done. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, simply subscribe. Until next time, your host, Filip Vojic. <laughs>